Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm humbled by what has happened and I renew my wholehearted apology for the gathering in the cabinet room on the 19th of June 2020. I can't say whether he'll be prime minister going into 2023, but I don't think that he will lead the party into the next general election. Why does the prime minister think everybody else's actions have consequences except his own? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, strike action looms. We speak to Terry Pullinger, the Deputy General Secretary of the Communications Union. Plus, Lalitha Tri from the Resolution Foundation will be with me to discuss their annual living standards audit as the think tank says that Britain's toxic mix of low growth and persistently high income inequality has made some groups more exposed to the cost of living crisis than others. And now, first, Boris Johnson is under pressure to explain what he knew and when after allegations of sexual assault surfaced about former Deputy Chief Whip Chris Pincher, who resigned on Thursday. Labour increased pressure on Johnson, sending a letter on Sunday demanding more information. Uh, The author of the statement, the Labour chair, Annalisa Dodds, said that Only Boris Johnson, quote, could have looked at this guy's record and thought he deserves a promotion. Well, here is the government's Children and Families Minister, Will Quince, responding to questions about what the Prime Minister knew. It's a fair question, and and I I anticipated that, and I I spoke with Number 10 both yesterday and today, and I asked them firmly and clearly for an answer on this, and I've been given categorical assurance that the Prime Minister was not aware of any serious uh, specific allegation with regards to uh, the former Deputy Chief Whip. Okay, so not aware, says Minister Will Quint. Well, the Work and Pension Secretary, Therese Coffey, also insisted the government is tackling bad behaviour in Parliament. Here she is. We have to be professional. There are different situations that happen where people have been unprofessional and unpleasant, and that needs to be tackled, absolutely. We need to continue to try and encourage people to come forward uh, and, as I say, go to the police uh, if they believe that a crime has been committed. Okay, so that on the sexual assault allegations. Meanwhile, elsewhere, we have rolling roadblocks uh, causing travel disruption on some motorways. Protesters are demanding action on fuel prices. Slow-moving demos have already been reported on the M47 crossing as well as the M5 in Devon. Campaigners want the government to cut fuel duty. Petrol currently costs more than £1.91 a litre on average. Diesel's even more. The protests add to mounting pressure on the Chancellor Rishi Sunak to take action. Right, let's discuss, well, some of this at least with our Bloomberg government reporter Emily Ashton who joins me for the day's big issues. Great to have you on, Emily. Firstly on Boris Johnson. I mean, the same question as one has been asking for quite a few months. How much trouble is Johnson in? I know, every week we keep talking about this, don't we, Caroline, really? But uh, yes, the latest um, is an, a, a new allegation of sleaze within the party. So I was actually um, with Boris Johnson last week at the G7 and the NATO summits. We're flying around uh, Spain, Germany, talking about international affairs. That's exactly what he wants to do, because all the domestic 
uh, troubles are mounting up at home. And as soon as he landed on Monday, on Friday, sorry, he got uh, this news that Christopher Pitcher had resigned as a deputy chief whip because of um, being very drunk, he said. And then it later emerged that there had been allegations um, of um, sexual uh, assault. And um, so the, the, these things are mounting up. And I think this has actually galvanised rebels within the party to um, on Boris Johnson to act um, mm-hmm. and, and, and to kind of take control of this because um, there seems to be no end to these troubles. Okay, well, uh, you know, the government protests. It says that it's doing um, what it can or doing the the maximum that it can in order to uh, stamp out bad behaviour. Having said that, there is now a lot of discussion about what happens with the 1922 committee and whether there is another confidence vote in the Prime Minister. Of course, you know, it's only a month ago that there was one, and so that would mean normally a year. Now, that could change, could it, Emily? Yeah, um, so the 1922 committee, that's kind of like almost the trade union of the Conservative Party. You know, it's the um, the backbench committee that makes the rules on the leadership contests. Um, they are uh, refreshing their executive. So there's elections to who can stand for that executive, um, we think, on Wednesday. Um, now, people who are standing are being asked, look, would you change the rules if you were going to be on the executive? And a rule change at the moment, Boris Johnson is safe from another confidence vote for a year. But if those rules change, we could see another confidence vote, you know, within weeks. Um, so it really, everything hinges on that 1922 committee and what happens. And I think it's also important to mention when you played that uh, clip from Will Quinn mm. and other ministers saying the PM was not aware of any specific allegations when he appointed Chris Pinch to that role. It's the word specific, you know. Was he aware more generally of rumours, of speculation around him? That has not been denied. You know, and that's what's really put to him. And being Deputy Chief Whip is not just a kind of enforcer role. It's a pastoral role. So, you know, he's supposed to be looking after the welfare of his MPs. And if the PM knew that he was putting a man like that in that position, that does raise a lot of questions about his own character. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Okay. well, a third thought then on, you know, the thing that voters are most worried about and now taking to the roads about, and that is fuel prices. What, if anything, can Rishi Sunak do about it? Yeah, you know, meanwhile, you have this huge cost of living crisis out there. I I have a petrol station opposite my house. I keep looking at the numbers going up every day. (laughs) It's unbelievable how fast it's it's rising. And as you say, we've got protesters targeting motorways across the country today, convoys of vehicles kind of driving slowly in a couple of lanes, really slowing down the traffic because this fuel's at record highs. You saw Rishi Sunak, he cut fuel duty by 5p. That was um, a couple of months ago. But that really hasn't touched the sides. You know, since then, it's gone up 20, 30p. So people are asking for a 20p cut now. That's what Fair Fuel UK want. And that's obviously a huge outlay by the government, but they are actually making money from the tax. So um, that's a decision they will have to make very soon. They'll be under pressure to do so, surely, uh, at least once the autumn comes too, with uh, home heating prices going up also. Emily, thank you so much for being with us. Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Emily Ashton. So setting up, well, the, the politics of the day and the week. My thanks to her. Right, let's move on. The Resolution Foundation has warned that almost two decades of income stagnation in in Britain means that the poorest families have been, quote, brutally exposed to the cost of living crunch. And now joining me is uh, Lalitha Try, who is a researcher from the Resolution Foundation. 
co-author of the 2022 Annual Living Standards Audit. Lalitha, thank you so much for being with us. Too many families are facing the current crisis, you know, already struggling with low incomes. How are, how are low-income families positioned now in the face of what is this cost of living crisis? That's definitely true. I mean, this cost of living crisis, as everyone knows, it's something that's very deep and it does affect everyone. So inflation's at 9%. That's the highest rate we've seen in 40 years. And although a lot of the causes of this crisis do come from global sources, so countries across the world will be experiencing their own crises, households in the UK are particularly exposed to the effects of this crisis due to the very weak income growth that households have seen in the 15 years preceding the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, I mean, your research points out one in four families don't have enough savings to cover their costs for a whole month. And I think perhaps even more importantly, that basic unemployment support has dropped to a record low. Then, I mean, the, the government rolled back the £20 uh, increase for universal credit. Surely there will be more pressure on the Chancellor to do more. Is that enough, though, a £20 weekly increase? So um, it's definitely worth noting that the government have um, given support to households who are affected by this crisis. They've spent um, £30 billion on measures to support household incomes, and they have targeted vulnerable households within this spending. However, as you said, the value of benefits compared to average earnings is much too low. So in 2022, um, benefits are set to be worth 13% of average weekly earnings, which is the lowest they've been since the post-war welfare state was invented. So in order to protect households and especially vulnerable households during this period, the government really should be focusing on boosting productivity, which would feed Mm. into stronger pay growth and they should also make sure that this helps low earners and people on benefits. The thing is, Britain has long had 20 years or so more even a productivity problem. Part of that is to do with investment by businesses and investment has plunged because of the uncertainty. So things may well only get worse. Definitely. I mean, the government does really need to look into boosting productivity and doing all they can to target this, as there is a direct link between productivity, which comes from, you know, business investment and household incomes. So it's something that's not only just important for businesses, but it's also really important for living standards for households across the UK. You also talk about the vulnerability of people in the rented sector, which, uh, again, has sort of raised a lot of concerns post-pandemic. Definitely. So renters tend to have household incomes that are a lot lower than the average across the country. And rents in the UK are high and they have um, increased over the last 30 years and they are high compared to other countries as well. So for people who are renting, who have high housing costs, this means that their incomes after housing costs 
aren't very tend not to be very high and it means that they're more likely to struggle when things like this cost of living crisis come around. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, one of those pressures, of course, is for higher wages. Britain's post office workers will strike on the 11th of July over wages, the latest group in the UK to boycott work over surging inflation and low pay rises. Joining us now to discuss is Terry Pullinger, who's Deputy General Secretary Postal of the Communications Workers Union. Thank you so much for being with us, Terry. Good morning. No problem. Good morning. So... I suppose the first question is, what is driving you to strike at the post office? This is going to have widespread impact. So just explain the reasoning behind the ballots. Yeah, if I could just explain it, the post office is separate from Royal Mail Group, which, of course, was uh, privatised nearly 10 years ago. So uh, whereas the post office is still in the public sector. So the post office dispute has been going on for some time now. I think they've taken about four bouts of uh, industrial action, and that's in respect of of pay. Um, what we last week we initiated a ballot for 115,000 postal workers, and that's over pay as well. So I know it's fairly generic across the sort of world of work at the moment, um, but it's really about challenging the hypocrisy. Uh, the current situation whereby uh, business leaders and shareholders are still raking in and paying themselves huge amounts of money whilst trying to say that it should be workers that tighten their belt. So obviously we're representing key workers here. And I don't say that in any way that there's, you know, that there's, um, you know, we want people to feel sorry for us or, or anything like that. Um, it's not about that at all. Postal workers have always worked through extreme weathers and in their history through world wars and through pandemics. But what the pandemic certainly did, and I think this mm. is the thing about key workers, it exposed the true worth of people doing those jobs, whether it's in Royal Mail or in working in a shop or working on a train or working in the NHS, really importantly. It just exposed their true worth. And I think people have recognised they deserve a lot better. And we deserve a lot better in this year's pay round based on Royal Mail's results from that period and based on what they've paid shareholders and what they continue to pay uh, the CEO and the business leaders, of course, as well as giving them huge bonuses. But then trying to say to the workforce, there's no money for you. Well, uh, I suppose one has to put the line, the defence line from Royal Mail is that they've offered a deal worth five and a half percent to to CWU colleagues, 115,000, as you mentioned, communication workers, union um, individuals, five and a half percent doesn't cut it. Well, the devil's in the detail. So Royal Mail is saying that, but it's not strictly true. They've now, in, initially, they said there was no money unless we was to agree to really unacceptable changes that they want to put in place. You know, really um, 
aggressive things like a two-tier workforce, so pulling up the ladder on the next generation, putting them on different wages. Many of the proposals you're hearing about, you know, more more efficiency, flexibility, the same language you hear right across, across business. But as I say, the devil's in the detail. They then they then imposed a two percent, so they haven't tried to, you know, make reach an agreement on that. They've imposed two percent on pay. They're saying there's a further one percent or one and a half percent if you if the union agrees to all these changes, which will be unacceptable to people. Um, and then the other bit that they're talking about is if you reach a certain productivity level. So it's a lot of it is jammed tomorrow. You just don't believe that it, there is no way there is a straight five and a half percent pay rise on the table in the talks. OK, Um the thing is, Britain's got a productivity problem, and that's where, you know, and productivity isn't just down to workers, obviously, it's also down to the equipment and the efficiency of the business as a whole. But that's the fundamental reason why, you know, British workers are not getting more money. It's that we're not productive enough. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's outrageous. I can't speak for everyone else with any authority. I can certainly speak for postal workers. And at the the commencement of 2021, right at the start of it, as we was uh, lurching into the pandemic, we made an agreement with the employer called the Pathway to Change. We delivered more change during the during the pandemic than we've ever delivered before for the same period of time in our history. Uh, we've got an agreement on productivity measure, and we had a three year flight path to getting productivity to a certain level across the whole of our industry. So we have absolutely complied with that agreement and um, and deployed that agreement in a way that we've never done before, deployed more, deployed more automation than we've ever done in a similar period in the history of Royal Mail. So there's no way that, that we haven't worked to that agreement and still want to work to that agreement, still got a plan to reinvent Royal Mail for the next generation. But the mm. business has suddenly lurched away from that and then they use all them arguments. And I have to say... The media just seem to accept that narrative and don't challenge or don't drill down. It is, you know, is the media accepting that every ordinary worker, so key workers especially, who were absolute heroes, have suddenly gone to zeros in, in you know, in just over a year? Well, that no one's. We're all lazy now. Everyone's lazy. <laughs> no one's productive. No, I, I mean, didn't use that word. And I think there should be a more balanced defence of people. The Royal Mail, that the job in Royal Mail, mm. and I was a postman as well, that mm. job has always been physically demanding, but it's got even tougher because there's more and more parcels and you've seen the size of parcels and we're going to every address in the country and still battling around whatever the circumstances, and we did during the pandemic and everyone knew that. Everyone was extremely grateful for the efforts. of, And I would, I would challenge anyone, including yourself, go and do a Royal Mail delivery and then come back and tell me that them people ain't working hard. No, yeah, and and I'm sure that I'd be immensely challenged if I did have to use that much shoe leather every morning. Um, but I suppose what I mean by that, and that's why I said it's not just down to workers, it's down to businesses as a whole. The productivity comes through, you know, investment in ways of making the business more more efficient. It's not really, you know, just about the kind of individuals. But that aside. There are also the CWU also represents BT workers, 40,000 BT workers in the UK have now also voted to strike. And, and we know that a lot of other unions are engaging in this same tactic. We know that that the summer is going to have a lot of disruption, you know, from the post office to BT to, to railways and much more. Um, the, the government, though, says that the trade unions are almost instinctively sort of resistant to change and, quote, modernisation. I suppose... 
you know, how, again, how would you respond to that, that, that it's the modernisation factor versus the cost of living challenge? Well, I, I just don't believe it stands up to any scrutiny. You're, again, uh, I, know, I know you're doing it for the programme, I understand that, but I'd like to see the balance of, of scrutinising that narrative. I mean, I, get, I use trains all the time. They have massively changed over the years. There's been huge change. I know how frustrating it is when, when, when there's no one there to sell me a ticket and I've got to go and try and use the machine and you can't get the same... Uh, advice and the same ticket price, et cetera, et cetera. So I know I get on trains that are modern and fast. And and so I just I don't accept that. In Royal Mail, I know we've embraced change for years. It's just not true. It's just it's just a narrative that's constantly churned out. But what also, what I'd like to say as well, so, you know, my, my approach to these things may be simplistic, but I say they're real. They're down to earth and real, and it's based on on what we experience. But if if we are so bad, if we're so unsuccessful, then why is there millions of pounds going to shareholders? Why are CEOs of companies and other top managers in the company getting massive bonuses and massive pay? I mean, a guy at BT is on something like three and a half million pounds a, a year. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I can certainly say in Royal Mail, I know the CEO is on something like 700 and odd hundred a thousand a year he's just been given a hundred and forty thousand pound bonus if we're so bad what's he getting rewarded for then yeah i i suppose though royal, royal mail certainly has had you know there were moments of danger where the business was was definitely struggling and if you look at the kind of competition levels for parcel delivery they're intense yeah, but the other thing to to accept, and people should have accepted this, I mean, we never particularly wanted privatisation. This is a magnificent public service. None of our competitors have got the universal service obligation. None of them go, will go to every address in the country at a standard price. We do. Royal Mail do. And this country was hugely grateful for it during the pandemic, I have to say, and have been for the last 500 years. So we are not like any ordinary company. Now, the decision to privatise, it wasn't ours. And any shareholder should understand that. Of course, you can make this massively cheaper raw mail. Don't go to every house. Charge people in Cornwall and Scotland or the outlined wells or the outlined areas. Charge them a fortune for delivering something. Don't give them a standard price. You know, no one's drilling down on directors or managers or the actual approach. People need to really look at this. Royal Mail, I'll give you an example. They well, put the price of they put a price of a first a class stamp up, eleven percent. Now they're only they've imposed two percent on their workers. They're doing okay. that, they would say, because a letter declined. But what I'm saying to you is that it's still generating millions of pounds of profits, but it's not going into this industry. It's not going to the workers. Terry it's pouring it's pouring out to shareholders, CEOs. Okay, and, but then Last question, because I'm, I'm running out fair, of time. Terry, okay, but you should just fair balance on this. I think I, it's, it's, then it needs a lot more scrutiny, the accusations so then, that workers aren't working hard and that we, we should accept less. And actually, we should be really grateful for what we've got. Well, that, no, and know, fair, balance, fair balance, though, Terry, is also to understand your union members who pay their dues and want you to represent yep. them. Yep. Um, how disappointed would they be if you don't get over the line, you know, the pay rise that you're asking for? What is your promise and your guarantee to them that you can actually kind of deliver on that strike action because it will cause chaos and difficulty? Can yep. you promise them that you will get that five and a half? Because if I were a union member, I'd want to know that, that your tactics were successful for me. I'd, well, I'll tell you what, I'd say to you, the promise I can give you, if we do nothing, that's all you'll get. 
Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.